Coming to you live from Plugin Studios in beautiful Largo, Florida, we are keeping you plugged in with episode 451 of F5 Live Refreshing Technology, a proud part of the Tech Podcast Network. This week, Verizon tests a feature you don't need, Valve shows off a controller you can't have, and Netflix pays a lot of money to a comedian you might not remember. I'm Scott. I'm Abram. And we are here. And wherever you are, and however you may be accessing our show, whether it be Facebook, iTunes, the Podcast Play app, in the Windows Store right now, on our homes on Livestream or Stitcher, the myriad of other podcatchers on uh, all of the platforms, or of course on our apps, pluginslive.com slash apps. Grab them now for free for any of the Windows devices in your life. Um... This right here is F5 Live Refreshing Technology, the flagship show on the Plug It's Live family of content. We are live almost every Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern at f5live.tv slash join us. From there, you can chat with us in the chat room as the show goes on. Give us your thoughts on the topics as we talk about them. Um, I see we have a couple of viewers in there right now, which we appreciate. If you have anything to say, please uh, say it in the chat room, and we will try and add it to our conversation. If you're not joining us live, that's okay. You can also subscribe to this and all of our other shows by going to f5live.tv and clicking on the subscribe buttons on the right-hand side. From there, you can get to F5 Live, the Pilch Point with Avram Pilch, our special events feed, which is about to start seeing a lot of new content from the last two events we were at. Um, our first look show, which is also going to be getting content from uh, Roboticon, where uh, Danielle and Marissa hosted the show, just the two of them. It was great to have them host the show. Um, they're, they're getting really great, so you should definitely subscribe to that. It's all about robots. You can't miss, right? Um, and then um, our new show... Um, the new product launchpad will be showing up on that list in the next couple of days because this weekend we will be uh, starting to film and release. We're very excited about that. Anyway, so uh, that's that. Abram, how are you? Good. How was your uh, your week off? Good, good, uh, really good. Uh, lots of time, lots of time to play with my son, which is always a blast. He and I have been uh, have been testing a lot of cool, uh, cool kids gadgets, uh, and uh, we spent a lot of time doing that the last couple of weekends. It's got to be uh, be nice to have a uh, a review partner. Yeah, well, you know, he has a slightly different criteria than me. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> is it purple? Can you change the color? Anyway, but but, uh, but that's okay because yeah, if the products yes. are aimed at him, you have to know what the yeah. important features are. To be to be completely honest, the products are aimed at like eight year olds, and he's four. Okay, so the target audience is somewhere between him and me. But he he enjoys he enjoys the stuff uh, immensely, especially uh, especially the robotic racing stuff that we've tested. Uh, I won't go on about it here, but you can check out my review of the Anki Overdrive, which is the, if you like racing as an adult or a child, is like the best toy you can possibly get. That's awesome. Yeah. And where can they get that? 
Uh, anywhere, Amazon. No. I mean, you should go get our review at tomsguide.com. There you go. I was going to say, I, I assumed it was Tom's Guide, but yeah. there was always a possibility you were going to throw me off because maybe the cars were mobile. <laughs> they work with your mobile phone or tablet. See, so there you go. You could have thrown me off. That. You could have thrown me off and put it on laptop. <laughs> anyway, um, we had a great event last week. Uh, a myriad of technical difficulties, but that is kind of par for the course when you walk into somebody else's environment but uh the show went off kind of without a hitch we had one camera that kept turning off but other than that uh the show went wonderfully um the event was great even even with some teams missing because of the hurricane uh the the room was full we had we had people who weren't involved there just as spectators and we had a team from china which i thought was pretty cool that's cool. They came over for an event that has no bearing on anything because the season has been over for months. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then from here, they went to Las Vegas, where uh, obviously we hosted the first robotics competition kickoff event at CES last year. So I paired the robotic, the, the Chinese team up with the team from the kickoff event at CES uh, to see their incredible uh, facility. I can't, I see pictures of it and I can't believe it. I want to go to Vegas like a day early this year or stay a day late so I can go over to their school and see this facility because <laughs> I absolutely can't believe it's like it's 12,000 square feet or something like that. Wow. Just with you. I want to see that. Right. That's cool. So I'm trying to figure out a time when we can work that out. Unfortunately, you know, with winter break happening right before CES, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge, but I'm going to figure out how to do it because I have to see this thing anyway. So the event was great. Um, the interviews will be going up, like I said earlier on the first looks feed in the next week or so. Obviously I want to apologize. We are super behind on publishing uh, episodes of everything. It's been weird preparing for Roboticon because we took on a bigger challenge than we've ever taken on before. So uh, it was kind of a big thing and it took us some time to prepare for. So, But we are back and um, editing has been in progress and hopefully things will be together soon. Hooray. I'm mentally back to normal. <laughs> so uh, with that, how about we talk about some news? Yay! This week's Nifty Gifties on F5 Live is proudly powered by the Microsoft Store. Gears of War 4, right now, experience a new generation of Gears. You can own it today. Um, you can also get the new Xbox One S with up to a ridiculous amount of storage. There are bundles that give you up to two terabytes of storage in your console, uh, which Considering how many times uh, Microsoft gives you very big, very free games for your Xbox when you're an Xbox Live Gold member, it's a pretty great deal uh, and kind of needed to have all of that storage. Of course, there are things other than Xbox. You can get a, uh, a Surface Pro 4, a Surface Book right now. Um, you can save up to $100 on select Surface Pro 4s. And there's other Windows 10 devices, Windows Phone, Office, all of that. And you can find out all of the deals by going to f5live.tv slash Microsoft. 
Speaking of Microsoft, are you guys going to have anybody at the uh, at the event in New York? Yes. Excellent. Then. Yes, definitely. Uh, I think it's still up in the air whether I'm going to be one of the people I'd like to be. So uh, you've reminded me that I better make sure that <laughs> I'm on the that I get on get onto the list. We definitely got invited. Um, Fantastic. So, so uh, yeah, that's good. No so. Question. No question about it. It's obviously extremely important uh, that, you know, that there's a big rumor that they're going to come out with new surfaces. They're going to come out with something. So we 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 uh, have decided amongst our company to pluralize surface as surfi. Surfi. (laughs) The surfi. (laughs) But that's good. It's good that you guys will be there. That means that we know where to uh, to follow along for information. Yeah, definitely will be uh, unless it's an all-in-one. If it's an all Surface all-in-one has has been rumored or a Surface Phone, that would be on Tom's guy. But if it's a tablet, it'll be on LaptopMag.com. Well, fantastic. Or other Surface Book notebook. We will uh, we will definitely keep an eye on that. And of course, your Twitter is always a good place to uh, to find stuff. In non-Microsoft news, uh, a couple weeks ago, you and I talked about. Verizon's chief financial officer, Fran Shemo, saying that uh, at the end of the day, people don't need unlimited plans. Of course, referring to data, not voice and text, because everything is unlimited at this point. Um, And just to keep us all on our toes, three weeks later, Verizon has uh, started test marketing a plan called Pop Data, in which you can purchase 30 or 60 minute short bursts of unlimited data on Verizon's network. <sighs> Why? It's a fair question. Um, I don't know. Uh, that makes no sense to me. Not at all, like that makes no sense to me at all. That's a very like, that's a very strange way of trying to say we're going to give you unlimited data. That completely <laughs> misunderstands why people want unlimited data. Right? People do not want. You pay for like they're trying to make you pay for data overages, whatever. But first of all, how much data could you possibly consume in an hour? Right. I don't know. Probably a certain amount, but only if you are trying to. Only if you're like, oh, I'm going to download the whole ISO for you know, for for Windows 10. Right. 32 and 64-bit versions. (laughs) I mean, like unless you were just trying to make some kind of statement about how much data you were downloading, this is that's completely pointless. The whole, the reason that people want unlimited data, Verizon, listen, the reason that people want unlimited data is not because they have a particular desire that like, oh, there's this big file and I just want it and I'm going to get it in 30 minutes and then I'll be perfectly satiated for the rest of the month. No, the reason people want unlimited data is because they don't want to have to think about overages and paying extra. They want bill predictability. They don't want to have to worry about running out of data. They want to do what they want when they want to, and they don't want to have to think about buying extra stuff and paying extra overages. This is yet an overage by another name, a voluntary overage or something. Like, not what people not what people want. Terrible idea. You know, I'm tot- I'm right there with you. I think it's a very very strange thing that they're doing. 
Like I could see, I could see the like couple of instances where I might say, and I don't know. I guess it depends on how much it would cost, but I could see certain instances where like I'm at an event, and I need to upload a video, that like that's something that could eat up hundreds of megabytes of data and be done in a half an hour or right. something like that. But I don't want that kind of unpredictability. Like, oh, what if I have to shoot another video later? Oh, I got to buy it again. Like. No, this is that's that makes no sense. I'm totally w there with you on both. It doesn't make sense, and it almost seems like it's specifically targeted to us for yeah, like, for what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. When I've had situations like that, it's just like, okay, fine, I'll I'll pay the overage, not or you know, I'll I'll pay my my company. The weirdest thing that Verizon has. Did we talk about this last time where they have the five dollar protection racket? Yes. Like, so that's another weird thing. Pay us $5 so you don't have to pay an overage, but we're still going to throttle your data. Like, uh, so, I mean. So there are some, some interesting limitations to this that will uh, kind of screw up our theory on uh, whether or not it's aimed at us. And here they are. First, um, you have to have your uh, location services on because Verizon's, Verizon may decline your request to make this purchase. So it only works if the, uh, the network is not under a heavy strain at the time of request. <laughs> so you may be all geared up sitting at Mandalay Bay ready for, uh, ready for unveiled You've done your thing. You're going to upload your video. And Verizon says, yeah, no, thanks. We're, n we're not interested in your money right now. <laughs> yeah, that's that's also quite quite possible. But yet you have another option, right? Which is that you could just take the overage. Yep. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> so we're, I'm like, you get you use the data one way or the other. Absolutely. Right? It's just how you're getting, paying for it. Mm-hmm. Because they're not cutting you off. Are they giving you some kind of speed boost with this pop? Not that I have heard. So basically, they're just charging you. It's like another form of the $5 protection racket. Uh -huh. It's it's like, here's here you've got like a half an hour, an hour to do, it, to do what you need to do. And you're paying for it separately from the other gigabytes that you're paying for. Uh-huh. And you're paying for those. Yes. <laughs> I Okay, so... I have to ask because this is going to be fun. And and viewers and listeners note, before the show, Avram had not heard of this test feature yet. Avram, how much do you think 30 minutes of unloaded data is going to cost? Um, $10. No, it's, it's not nearly that. It is only $2 for 30 minutes and $3 for an hour. So it, so at least it's not it's not ten dollars for thirty minutes. It, yeah, I mean three. Uh, okay, but that's effectively charging. Like, and come on, they you know that they're not guaranteeing you a speed with that. So right, how much data could you possibly consume within that time period? Right. You know. <laughs> okay, 
It's yeah. It's I'm sure someone is like patting themselves on the back for the incremental revenue stream. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it, it's I'm sure there's a business like wow, we just found a way to charge a whole lot of people two and three dollars. And they probably still not even going up, probably still not using that much more data than they already would have been using. I mean, I I don't know what it, I guess it would be interesting to know what a gigabyte of data actually costs Yeah. the phone network to deliver to you. Is it a cost at all? Like, I, I, I just have to wonder how much of this is a like variable cost versus a sunk cost a sunk cost right on on behalf of the of the network like are they actually like getting billed by somebody else or they have a whole bunch of operators in an old room somewhere like plugging in a little jack or something for you if you if you're if you're downloading your data of course not all they over these... all over quarter inch connectors yeah like like Angelina Jolie in that movie anyway so like, give me a break. They build the networks to support the stuff. And I don't know if there's any incremental cost for them for people using more or less. I mean, I, I guess there's more electricity being used somewhere. And if pe- everyone is using more, then they have to expand the network eventually, which they ought to be doing anyway. But are they really spending, like, more money to deliver you, like two gigabytes than one gigabyte uh really i mean i think that's why when you see all these other companies sort of going toward unlimited unlimited it's because look they always could have afforded it Mm -hmm. it's not it's just another way of making money um and it's frightening though because in this day and age mobile data is so important and mobile and and content people want to consume the content and so it's bad for the internet it's bad for the content business it's bad for e-commerce it's bad for everybody yep. who's actually making money off the internet when the company controlling the pipe wants to do all kinds of things to stop people from consuming content on the internet right uh, or consuming services on the internet so you know good for t-mobile uh for for having their unlimited plan yeah. good for sprint even though their data, their network's not supposed to be very good but good for good for sprint uh and you know now of course at&t and verizon are like the the old old people of the of cellular they're kind of entrenched and they you know they don't feel like they need to be uh competitive on price and 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 there you have it it, you know. It's interesting because it's it's uh, AT and T and Verizon who are both wholly U.S. owned and operated, and Sprint and T-Mobile, which are uh, Japanese and partially German, uh, respectively. And it's interesting that the non-traditional American telecoms are the ones who are behaving very differently. Yeah, uh, you know, I I, I have to say this sequitur or non sequitur i i've been on i actually have been on verizon for many years is the only company i've actually like been on i got on them you know back when i got my first cell phone Uh and just kind of ended up sticking with it because the the quality of the network has been had had been pretty good my wife joined it with me and so i can't switch back and forth without her switching 
lately we've actually really strongly discussed switching to T-Mobile because the quality of the Verizon signal that we're getting everywhere that we go in the last six months or so has been terrible. Interesting. Uh, and just yesterday, or maybe it was this morning, just this weekend, I took a phone that I borrowed from work that had that had that could support both T-Mobile and Verizon, Ooh. and I switched the phone cards back and forth, the SIM cards back and forth, in my living room. T-Mobile was between 50 and 60 Mbps down and like 10 up, and Verizon was like three or four down and like one to less than one up yuck uh and that's not just in, i mean that was in my house today but last week i did a test with two different phones one on verizon and one on t-mobile during my train commute each way okay and verizon was not even getting like a signal in some places and t-mobile was getting like 30 and 40 up and down so um they ought to, before they start, you know, expecting people to just pay their prices at Verizon because they say they have a better network. Well, you know, other companies have good networks and they don't charge and, and they don't and they and they do have unlimited to keep it simple for people. Right. Um, so I guess the one the one interesting thing about this that I think neither one of us would have expected um, is that in that. In that pop data plan, uh, you can yeah. tether. Well, so, that's why you'd use it, right? Right. But I thought it, it's the kind of thing that, like, normally these kind of promotions ignore tethering or it specifically ban that ban it. So it was nice to see that at least they know kind of who they're targeting with it. It may be a weird feature, but at least they know who they're targeting. Anyway. Um, yeah. So... Verizon's not the only company that's been uh, in a little bit of trouble. Let's uh, let's take a couple minutes and talk about the the uh, kind of oddity that has been Samsung over the last couple of weeks. Smoking hot topic. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, what in the world could have possibly happened at Samsung for this to have gone so wrong for them? Well. I had someone on my social media with a theory, which none of us knows the answer to, that they were just taking the same phones that were shipped back to them from the first recall and shipping them out to people with the green logo on them. Uh, that would be pretty preposterous if, if true. Um, you know, It would certainly be insulting. It's insulting and preposterous if true, but clearly they didn't solve the problem the first time. Right. So they didn't you know one thing that so here's one thing i don't get i really don't get the crisis pr for this has been terrible mm -hmm. as far as i'm concerned i don't i don't know like uh, you know what the proper crisis P no well actually i do i have a theory about what the price proper crisis pr would be it would be having the president of samsung when nobody knows anything about the president of samsung but I think it's it, I think Samsung is primarily run by the Lee family in Korea. Anyway, it would be having someone near the top of the company like go on TV and go into the media and issue a very heartfelt apology the first time that it happened. Um, right, and not certainly not wait until the second. 
and then and then promise in some way to to refocus the brand on safety uh, because there are other things popping up. Uh, I, I full disclosure, I have a personal stake in this. My washing machine that I bought this summer is one of the Samsung washing machines that uh, is known to have an exploding problem. Uh, and this washing machine, and this I think is indicative of a larger issue at Samsung. Like maybe the people who make the washing machine, the people who make the phones are completely different, uh, probably completely different sides of the company. But man, this washing machine, which I did not know because it was not covered in the places I read, the wa their washing machines have had a problem with some of them having no safety belt in place and basically shaking until the drum of the washing machine explodes across, not fire explosion, but like pops out and flies across the room and into the wall. Um, you know, basically, it, it uh, um, has been a known problem on washing machines from 2011 to this year. So five years worth of washing machines have had this problem. 2011. Wow. Models dating back. I don't know if people knew about it since 2011, but when I f went, when I got my washing machine, my washing machine had a defect. Not, it didn't explode, but it was leaking everywhere. Right. And I went and I looked at the Amazon reviews for it, which I hadn't done before. Hint: Look at Amazon reviews. Don't look at reviews elsewhere. Uh, I mean, I looked at don't look at user reviews elsewhere because I looked at the Home Depot reviews for this, and there were four stars. Unfortunately, there's no laptop mag for for washing machines. So, huh. uh, you know, and I looked there, there were people from like six months and a year ago on Amazon s with photos of their thing having exploded. But the washing machine only made the news last, the washing machine problem only made the news last week because of the phone problem. Right. It Because the, people were looking for it. Right. So the, the phone had, had brought Samsung's issues to light. And so that made people go investigate other products from them. Exactly. So gotcha. that, that brought it up. And quickly, I see that it's been forgotten. No new stories about it, even though they're not actually recalling the washing machine. We, we went to their website, my wife and I, we typed in our serial number. It said, yes, your washing machine is one of the ones that has the defect, but we're not recalling it. Um, we're just advising you not to wash large blankets on a high cycle. So wouldn't wouldn't that be insulting if that's the reason you bought it? Well, I mean, we did actually want to buy large blankets. That's why we did that. We did want to get one that could do blankets. I mean, it doesn't say you can't. It's like run them at low and cold or something, so it doesn't shake too much, so it can't shake out. Great. What about all the people who don't get don't register at their website and find this advice? Right. Like, this is a dangerous product, but you're not even recalling it. And then the the phones were so unimportant to you that you didn't take the necessary steps to make sure that the second iteration was totally safe mm -hmm. before you rammed it out the door. So frankly, I, I mean, I think if you look at what Samsung is doing now, it's, it's really on a par with like, you know, things that we've seen from like Toyota when the brakes weren't working. Right. And now Toyota's managed to recover in, in a big way. Because uh, people, I guess, have a short memory. So they may have a short memory about Samsung. But frankly, at least, as I recall, with Toyota and with Ikea, with some of their stuff falling over on people mm. and stuff like that, with some of the major hazardous recalls lately, the companies have made some type of, like, an effort, Chipotle, 
you know, sure. not a recall, but similar situation. Chipotle, you know? Chipotle responded immediately with the, the CEO making a public statement and then giving giving free food to people nationwide, even though that it was only like six locations that had had the locally grown issue. Like Chipotle jumped right on it. Right. So what's Samsung doing to make good on this? What's Samsung doing to make good on their reputation? Given oh. given a hundred dollars towards your next Samsung phone, not enough. <laughs> I uh, agree. Show everyone that you're serious about safety. Recall all products that are known to be a problem. Uh, be completely transparent with people about why the problem happened in the first place and why the recalled ones didn't. Why the second generation of them was messed up. Right. Like what happened. You know, and and what steps are you taking to make sure that safety is number one throughout your your line? Yep. Because, you know, look, it's funny in a way until someone gets hurt. Right. You know, like it's it's a little bit funny that like, oh, man, you get on an airplane now. They actually warn you, like, don't use a Galaxy Note 7. That there's you know? that there is one particular product, at least with when the uh, the quote unquote hoverboards uh, we're having charging this basically the same charging problem. Um, it, it, it was a whole industry, like a whole product category that was being told you can't leave the batteries in on the plane or you can't bring them on. Here we have a particular model from a major manufacturer being absolutely denied access to airplanes. I think it's going to, I mean, we could talk about this all night and we don't want to, but right. I think it's going to shake up the phone industry a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't necessarily mean it's going to shake it up in terms of people take, taking safety more seriously, I wish, or or bringing back removable batteries, I really wish. <laughs> that would have solved Samsung's problem Yeah. Uh, to an extent anyway. Uh, but I think it will actually open the door for other phone manufacturers because mm-hmm. Samsung's reputation is is soiled right now and and frankly it deserves to be soiled right yeah they they kind of set themselves up with the way they've handled it to have their reputation hurt and i think with with lg having the v20 uh i you know there's a couple what's that the google pixel i think the google pixel yep is is poised to really you know hurt Samsung and you know people who are between Samsung and iPhone, they may go to iPhone. Uh, I mean, they there's may. a lot of there's a lot of great competition in the Android phone space, and Samsung had kind of dominated. Yeah. So it's good. Maybe it's going to open things up for some of the companies that have been innovating uh, in ways that Samsung wasn't, but so, had been ignored because everybody yeah. looked to Samsung. Yeah. I yep. you're you're absolutely right. I think this is the thing that takes the the virtual monopoly away from Samsung and starts to put some uh, spotlight on the other guys. So I, I, while it sucks that it happened, it should be interesting for the Android space. This week's Pilch Point with Avram Pilch is proudly powered by Monster Products. The headphones on my head right now 
the monster elements in platinum. They come in several colors. They are wired and wireless. If you're an iPhone customer, you will like that you can basically match your iPhone 7 to your uh, monster elements uh, color for color, which is kind of cool. Uh, but of course, big over-the-ear headphones are not for everybody. Monster also has on-ear, in-ear, wired, wireless. They've even got the Monster Blaster boombox. So for sure, there is something to fit everybody's style. And to find out about all the products, you can go to f5live.tv monster. It is time for the Pilch Point with online editorial director of Laptop Magazine and Tom's Guide, Abram Pilch. Abram, how are you doing? Great. Great. Excited. See, I told it's you I was going to come up told you I was going to come up with a new way to start this thing. Yes. <laughs> it's a I think this is an exciting time in the uh, in the tech industry. We've gotten uh, with the holiday season coming around, and with Intel's new chip, uh, new KB Lake chips. There's a lot of new things coming. So at Tom'sGuide.com and LaptopMag.com, where I'm the online editorial director, we uh, we've got a lot of interesting things, a lot of interesting reviews that we've just put up and that are coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks. Because as we uh, hit uh, as we go down the stretch for holiday season, that's when all the companies are coming out with the coolest new stuff, uh, and you know, and we're getting it. Uh, so, one of the most interesting things which I want to talk about this week on on Phil's point is uh, the is should you buy a new laptop now? Uh, because there's there's some evolution going on, and the answer is the answer to this question really is. Yes, if yes, but it depends on on what you're buying. So, uh, Intel recently announced back in September uh, availability of their new seventh generation core, KB codename KB Lake CPUs. Anytime Intel changes their CPUs, slowly but surely, all of the laptop manufacturers refresh uh, refresh their products. Um, and as they're refreshing their products. Uh, you know, they're also doing adding some other innovations to them. Uh, unfortunately, not all the KB Lake products are out yet. Depending on what you want, you might want to make sure that you that you get one, uh, or at least you know what it is you're buying. So, the Dell XPS 13 is our favorite uh, consumer laptop overall, and has been for about a year and a half, and it is now refreshed with in seventh generation core KB Lake. Uh, and wow, if you're looking for a consumer laptop that is extremely light and has extremely long battery life and is has a gorgeous screen, this is the the XPS 13 is a really big winner and it's gotten bigger to be even better. So with the latest refresh, which we just reviewed, um, it lasts almost 14 hours on our battery test. Ooh. That's two hours longer than last year's model. Uh, so if you're buying, if you're thinking of buying one, make sure you get one of the current generation models. Now that sounds like a great CES laptop. Yes. The other reason that the XPS 13 would be a, a great laptop for people who are on the go, like we are at CES, which you consider to be sort of like the Super Bowl of journalism, because you've got to like carry, you just got to like 
carry all your stuff around with you like 15, 16 hours a day and you don't want to have to worry about plugging in. So the long battery life, the fact that it's 2.7 pounds, uh, and the fact that it has all the ports you want, that's that's the downside of a lot of the new thin and light laptops that are coming out is they're so thin, they're so light that they decide, okay, to cut a few millimeters off, the manufacturer is going to get rid of the USB ports or your SD card slot or things that you really need so that they can say that they're the thinnest. Don't take well, away my SD card slot. Right. So <laughs> Dell XPS 13, fantastic. They give you all the ports that you need. And one of the ports they have is a Thunderbolt 3 port. So you get your traditional USB ports for for plugging in most normal things. And then you have a Thunderbolt 3 port, which you can also charge over. Uh, so you can connect the next generation of peripherals. Uh, on top of all of this, uh, the new the new model has killer wi- has a killer Wi-Fi card. I don't mean that, but pejor- I don't mean that. Like that's the brand name, killer Wi-Fi card, uh, and it's actually performed a lot better than like a regular Intel Wi-Fi card that we've Intel Wi-Fi card. Like we got really fantastic connectivity with it. Um, they increased the battery capacity. So the fact that the battery life is two hours more may or may not be because of KB Lake. KB, the okay. new CPU is supposed to be more power efficient, but at the same time they upped the battery life by about, I think, uh, four watt hours Ooh. or something. It went from like 56 to 60 okay. watt hours or something. So, um, so they increased the battery capacity at the same time. Uh, meanwhile, I'd like I'd still- like to real quick throw my my personal support behind uh, the the company Killer who makes the the Wi-Fi cards. I have one of their Ethernet cards in my main editing machine, and yes, the the stuff they make is impressive. My uh, my stable uh, speed has been better since I switched to that card. So I'm glad to hear that laptops. Like regular consumer laptops are starting to show up with that that brand. Yeah, normally I've only seen that on gaming systems. Right. So, so this is a surprise, and it's standard. It's not an option. It's a standard feature. Awesome. Um, you know, the other thing about the XPS 13 is it's got a super duper thin bezel, so it's fitting basically a 13 inch display in a chassis that's maybe 11 or 12 inch, uh, the size for an 11 or 12 inch laptop. Mm. So. You know, so that's an example of something that has been refreshed and is in fantastic shape. Love it. Um, it's not cheap though. Um, it's seven ninety nine for the entry model, but that's with a Core i three processor, which nobody should get uh, get it with. So really, you're gonna have to pay about nine ninety nine for the minimum good configuration. Now, a lot of other consumer laptops haven't been updated yet. So the question is, do you? Does it matter to you? If you need something right now, the difference in battery life and performance between KB Lake and Skylake, the you know, six and seven gen core, you know, maybe it'll be, it may be noticeable to you. It may not. But the fact that things are getting refreshed, hmm, if you can hold hold out, maybe you should. The other the other thing uh, to note is in the gaming laptop sphere, um, in the gaming laptop world, uh, you. Now, video cards have turned over. So 
everything now uh, in gaming laptops is the new NVIDIA Pascal cards, which are the uh, GTX 1060, 1070, and 1080. Uh, you don't, unless you're buying a really cheap bargain basement budget gaming laptop, you want to make sure you get one of these new chips as your graphics chip if you're buying a gaming system because they are they are a lot better than the previous generation. And when it comes to something that's gaming, you're spying this, you're going to hold on to it for three or four years. You want something that's ready for next year's games. So, so important thing is you want to make sure as we're in this transition between old graphics cards and the new uh, NVIDIA 1050, 1060, 1070, um, 1080, and uh, new old old CPU, 6th gen core, new CPU, 7th gen core that you're aware of what am I what am I getting? Now if you're if you're just like look, I just want a nice laptop, my old one broke, then you know, if performance and if you being future proofing isn't the most important thing to you, you know, you can think about getting something that that doesn't have these updates. Uh, certain products aren't going to be refreshed for a while like business notebooks we're not going to see uh, see a refresh on until 2017 uh, with the new chips, but um, you know it's you, you want to be aware of these changes that are going on. So you weigh, well, can I wait a few more months and see what the next model up is going to be? Because in addition to better performance, it may have another new feature that you that you really want. Because manufacturers don't just change the CPU very often; they'll throw something else in, just like Dell did by putting in. The kill, by putting in the killer Wi-Fi card and the larger battery. All of a sudden, wait a second, now it's not just a little bit faster, I'm getting a lot more battery life and I'm getting a noticeably better uh, Wi-Fi connection. And, and all of those things are like important additions on top yeah. of the processor. Yeah, no, no doubt, like... You know, I'm I'm hopeful that while these updates go on, we will also see some more systems that are refreshed coming with Thunderbolt three or USB Type C. Yeah. Uh, because the not that you can't get those on on older generation six gen uh, systems, but I'm hoping that as some of these things that don't have it are being refreshed, uh, we'll start to see it more because that's something I would absolutely require on my next laptop. Yeah. Is to have Thunderbolt or you or at least USB Type C. Uh, so that I can so that I can use all the new peripherals that are coming out. Yeah, as opposed to it being something that we have to put on a checklist on whether or not the computer has it, wouldn't it be wonderful if this next generation it's just ubiquitous? You just know that it's going to be on there. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Um, so hoping to see more of those. Anyway, uh, if you're interested in what laptops to buy or reading our review of the XPS 13, uh, check us out at laptopmag.com uh, for all of your laptop shopping and using needs uh, <laughs> and help um, and support needs. And of course, uh, for all of our other coverage of other types of products, including toys, TVs, uh, phones, uh, check us out on tomsguide.com. Well, Avram, as always, we appreciate you uh, bringing us the, the the details on stuff that you're able to bring us from uh, from your place in the industry. And uh, for this show, we will see you 
next week. But of course, we will see you for the whole rest of the main show. <laughs>
uh, Valve actually showed off, or I guess, yeah, Steam Dev Days. Uh, Valve showed off a prototype for a next generation of controller that addressed some of the uh, concerns of the ones that are out in the wild. Um, the primary control being, or primary concern being uh, the in- inability for some people to open their hands completely um, when the controllers are, are on. Uh, the new controller has solved that. You can now open your hands full flat, uh, which you could not do with the current generation controller, which is a really nice like set apart from its from its predecessor, which, like Avram just said, you gotta hold it. Is a great controller. Yeah. And and this kind of ups on that, uh, making it even better. Um, the other thing is that uh, there's a, a grip button, um, like physical buttons on the controller that determine the grip. Uh, the new one senses it based on overall hand positioning. Uh, so there's no physical clicky button to determine uh, pressurized grip, which is a nice, nice change because, you know, a clicky button clicks. It makes... It, there's there's a jolt in a physical button and things like that, and so that doesn't exist anymore either. And all of this is important because if the two two big innovators, Oculus and uh, and Valve, continue this kind of back and forth, like Valve goes and shows off this controller and everybody gets really excited, and then Oculus goes, uh-oh, well, now ours kind of sucks. And so the two of them go back and forth, Hopefully, we will see some really great controllers come out of it. And if not, uh, at least we know that a controller is probably going to be the make or break for a platform. I'm gonna I put this on side and say on its side and say the best controller that they're gonna come out with is gonna be no controller at all. Mm-hmm. The best controller is gonna be your is gonna be perf, is gonna be gesture recognition. Yeah. But it has to be reliable. Exactly. Very, very reliable. But, I mean, because it kind of, it's it's kind of an awkward thing. It sort of breaks the, like, I loved having the controllers of the Vibe because I, you can trust them. Like, mm-hmm, you know, right. like, they're re, it's really your hands. You don't have to worry about a lot of things that involve gesture control where your hands might appear and disappear and not have enough accuracy to really play a game. Right. But if they could get it to the point where it, where your hands, where it was really good at detecting your hands, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, and and maybe actually the better solution there is the better intermediate solution there is to get something like a power glove or some type of like thing that you can wear on your hand instead of that, that tracks your hands perfectly because that's, I mean, it's not what people really want from VR unless you're trying to make the VR, you really emulate the experience of a 2d game where you have a controller and you're driving around with the controller but i mean i think what a lot of people want out of vr is to be able to do things in the virtual environment that they couldn't do they can't do on a flat game like i don't know pick something up by grasping it with their hand sure. or or do do like a uh, I mean, I think the the one thing I haven't seen yet in VR, maybe it exists, but I haven't seen it, is like a VR fighting game where you could actually like fight. Uh, I mean, with your hands. Right. So a VR version of like the the Wii boxing. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, I think I think people are. I mean, I think those sorts of things are the things that 
you know, would make like the ultimate controller. Yeah. And or I would like to see a specialized controller for specialized uses. Sure. Like you have with steering wheels. Like give me give me a steering wheel for a racing VR. Sure. Absolutely. But, and and you know, as as the concept of VR matures, we'll certainly see more uh, specialized uh, peripherals like that. I, there's no doubt in my mind. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's great to see advancement. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to see it. Um, if you want to see some photos and videos of it in action, um, is Abram still there? There we go. Um, if you want to see some uh, photos and videos of it in action, uh, you can go to plugitslive.com or f5live.tv and go to the upstream and uh, check out the article. There's a link to uh, some video of the controller, the new controller in action. Um, obviously, uh, Dev Days is dev only. Uh, no press is there, but they do allow um, phones and Twitter, and so... There we go. We have some <laughs> we have some Twitter video. Uh, so I've I've linked in the article. So definitely go check it out if you're excited about VR and or AR as much as we are because um, you know this is a controller that is obviously intended to work with hardware on their platform, specifically meaning the HTC Vive, um, which also will support Windows Holographic. And so with that, this controller may make its way over to holographic as well. So no matter where you are in the field, uh, if you're interested in AR or VR, this is a video to go check out. And then go look at Twitter in general on the hashtag Steam Dev Days, and you'll see lots of photos and videos of this because it was definitely the takeaway uh, from the event. This week's news from the tubes on F5 Live is proudly powered by Rift Tracks. Make fun of movies or, you know, let the professionals do it for you because that's what they get paid to do. The guys who used to do Mystery Science Theater 3000 are back and doing what they do best, making fun of movies. From blockbusters to, honest to God, it's called Astro Zombies. They've got a little bit of everything. Uh, the way it normally works is for... A couple of dollars, you download the MP3, play it along with your DVD, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, Redbox, wherever you happen to have the movie, and laugh. Um, of course, they do, uh, from time to time, change things up and do live shows. Their last one um, was... What was it? It was Mothra, right? And their next one is Carnival of Souls in theaters nationwide October 27th and 31st. The 31st will be a uh, encore presentation of the live event recorded on the 27th. The live events are some of my absolute favorites. I have uh, purchased the entire live events in the past because they're pretty great. Um, of course, you can also check out some of their short films, industry films, and those terrible things we used to watch in school. All riffed by professionals. To find out what short films, what movies are available, and what theaters you can see uh, Carnival of Souls, you can go to f5live.tv slash rifftracks with an X. 
keep meaning to send you the spring one. And I keep forgetting. Oh, well. Uh, speaking of Twitter, um, we talked a couple of weeks ago about Twitter's interest in uh, no longer being an independent organization and uh, looking for for suitors. We talked about four in particular uh, three weeks ago. Uh, shortly after our discussion, one more was added, and that one more was Disney uh, making making the uh, the setup Microsoft Google um, Verizon Salesforce and Disney and this week Salesforce who was the last bidder to still be interested announced that they were not so that leaves Twitter in a difficult place because they would not have been soliciting bidders if they were not in a position to uh, no longer want to be an independent entity. Uh, we know that since 2011, they have lost some $2 billion because they have had tremendous trouble getting new users to sign up. And $2 billion is a lot of money, uh, for, especially for a company who has refused to build a business plan, which has been part of Twitter's problem. And so I guess that lack of a business plan uh, has end up costing them by not knowing how to make money. So what do you think the next step here is? Lower the price. I mean, why did, do we don't know? Do we know why all these companies walked away? No. Uh, the uh, the CEO of Salesforce, Mark Benioff said, in this case, we've walked away. It wasn't the right fit for us. That's his only quote. Well, I don't think it was the right fit for them in the first place. So I, they... I, don't, I don't know. When you consider that a lot of Twitter's usage at this point is in customer service, it's not too far away from making sense for Salesforce. But yes, I definitely think that Microsoft or Google would have been a much more uh, reasonable purchase because you know there's things that could be more than one thing that could have come out of it what about verizon i don't know i feel like maybe it just would have been thrown into verizon's content division with aol and potentially yahoo depending on whether or not that sale goes bust yeah maybe they could take the money that they're gonna get refunded from yahoo or something and put it into twitter um, instead yeah I mean, as I said the last time we discussed this, Twitter feels more like a platform than a business. Mm -hmm. It feels more like a protocol than a business. It's something that really should have just been some type of open standard that someone has turned into a business. And the only value of it are th is the fact that so many people use it. Right. But Which, you know, that's a lot of value, I guess. But the, the problem is that it's not a product that you know standalone has any value that has a lot of a lot of value like what's the what's so great about the intellectual property of it hey we have a service where people can send send things and we cut them off after 140 characters bully for us like <laughs> bully for us i mean there are a lot of things that cut people off after a certain amount and and allow people to send and they're not worth that much money right you know like there, it's there's instant messaging things. Yeah. There's other social networks that 
oh my god, I'm sure the people who invented Friendster are like, oh man, if only we had cut people off after an unreasonably short amount of characters, we'd be rolling in it now. I mean, like... And an unexplainably short number of characters, because 140 has never made sense to me. I I didn't understand... I never really understood... I've never really understood Twitter. Like, I use it because people are there, and so uh-huh. I feel like I should be using it too. And I read things on it, and it's fascinating. And maybe the thing that's most interesting about Twitter is the enforced brevity of it me- means that you see a lot going on in your feed. Sure. Whereas if there's not as much enforced brevity, then you'd have longer things, and so you'd have to scroll more, and they sure. just wouldn't just be popping, popping, popping. And then people would would have to think about it more before they posted something. But then again, people post to Facebook and they post things of varying lengths, mm-hmm. and it seems to work out fine. But uh, most of my posting happens from Hootsuite, which posts to both at once. So I'm forced into the brevity, even for Facebook and Google. So yeah, I mean, it's I don't know. I just don't get. I I, I haven't really gotten the the whole like excitement over it but you know i get that people are because twitter seems to have in the last you know what's it really i think be started become a thing around what 08 07 yeah somewhere there um over the last you know eight or nine years seems to have become something where celebrities and you know feel very comfortable using it uh frequently which we didn't really see from other other platforms sure right so you see people like and it's become a thing in this election right like how many times how many times do tweets make news yeah how many times has cnn reported on something that that trump or clinton has tweeted yeah or or someone tweeted about them sure right like things that people tweet have become news I used to say this was lazy journalism, but apparently, you know, it was the ultimate <laughs> lazy journalism. Just open Twitter and you have a news story. Uh, but but then again, these things are becoming important. Inform- like it, not because, pe- is- because people are saying theoretically important things on Twitter, which yeah. was not the case even just a couple of years ago. Now, I mean, both Trump and Clinton are talking about their policy initiatives on Twitter. Yeah. I don't know how in 140 characters, but apparently they are. I mean, you see things there and you're like, whoa, wait a second. Like this just this just broke news. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, you know, what was it the other day when? Uh, well, I don't even need to get to a specific thing. Every almost everything that uh, that Trump has tweeted on there has been has been something that got picked up in the news that like, hey, wait a second. For lots of reasons. There was normally a candidate would have like hold a press conference or they'd say it at a rally yeah. or they'd have uh, a PR person send it out. Nope. Uh, it's right there on Twitter. So good for them as a cultural institution, but how, how is this going to make money? They've had all these years to figure, to try to figure it out, but they haven't been interested in trying to figure it out, which has been a big part of their problem. I don't. I don't think that. I don't think they're. I mean, apart from having sponsored things, festooning the thing with ads, it's going to like 
all the things that would probably make it really profitable are things that would are things that would uh, would risk making it uncool. And all this thing has going for it is cool right now. Yeah. So the minute that you make it annoying is the minute that is the minute that it goes away. And in fact, uh, all the stuff that they did to t- sort of limit the APIs and hurt the third party clients, yeah. I think, was their biggest mistake because that made it uncool to a lot of people. Right. And and it made it so that the the way people were interacting with it was no longer viable which obviously is going to limit your scope but yeah i i totally agree that their next step has to be in dealing with their price but of course as a publicly held company there's only so much you can do because there are stocks out there and so you are publicly valued there's a it's difficult to uh convince stockholders to take less than their uh publicly accepted stock value for their stock. So there there will be a little bit of of uh, issue there. But of course, when uh, Salesforce announced that they were no longer uh, interested, the stock price took a 6% dip and has not recovered. So there, the price is going to drop on its own. Yeah, exactly. The price, the price will eventually solve itself uh, as this conversation continues to happen and uh, bidders continue to come and go as rapidly as these have the price, the stock price will solve itself uh, rather quickly. I think I, I hope Google buys it, I think, or Google or Microsoft, yeah. but I think, I think it would, I think it would immediately save Google plus, right? It would either save uh, it or replace it. Well, re- save, I shouldn't say save Google plus the brand. I think it would save social networking for Google. They would be able to take, what they have going with Google Plus, which is I still like Google Plus because it has very deep integration with all the other Google things that you do, like YouTube and uh, and you know and things like that. So you take that, you layer Twitter, which is a popular brand, on top of it, and then you have all these users, and you say, "Hey, Twitter people, like, why don't you go and create like a a more in-depth thing over here on what used to be, you know, what used to be Google Plus." And why don't you go and instead of using Vine, which is this separate thing, this separate video thing, why don't you just use YouTube? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I, I think I think it's a per, I think it's a good it's I think it's good for the future of both companies, whether it's a big money maker on its own. I don't think it is, but it would help build Google's social uh, cred in a very important way. And, and Google could use that. Yes, they could. And like you said, so could Microsoft. They both have had their issues trying to interact with social, and I think it could help both of them. But we'll see what happens. Um, somebody will end up with it because obviously uh, Twitter has realized that they are not capable of sustaining themselves on their own. So my guess is it'll happen at some point in the next 18 months. We'll see this thing come to completion. This week's DRM Not Included on F5 Live is proudly powered by Groove. All the music you love, ad-free, from one of the biggest catalogs in the world, 
You can listen on your PC, tablet, Xbox, web, smartphone, whether it be Android, iPhone, Windows phone, create playlists, custom radio stations, download unlimited music on up to three devices, and you can do that all for $9.99 a month. Uh, you can get a free 30-day trial right now. You can also uh, purchase a one or 12-month uh, music pass by going to f5live.tv slash group. Mixed up the promo a little bit there. <laughs> Sometimes I get tired of doing the same promo over and over and over. I have to rewrite it. <laughs> um, staying in the streaming category, let's talk about Netflix for a second uh, because that's something unusual for us. Not really. Um, but... Let's talk about something weird from, from Netflix. We know that they have a plan over the next couple of years to go 50% original content, which is a very big goal for a company who got started on entirely licensed content. And we talked a couple of weeks ago. We're hoping that that does not mean that they're going to limit their licensed content in an attempt to get to 50-50, but that they are going to produce more original content. Um, in, in their campaign to do that, they have just written a very strangely large check to Chris Rock, who, depending on who is listening or watching this show right now, you may or may not have ever heard of. Um, I think most people have heard of Chris Rock. He hosted, he hosted the Oscars. He certainly did. And that, for, for a lot of younger people, may have been their introduction to him, though. Right, because he hasn't toured in almost a decade, um, so people may recognize him as a a movie actor. You may know him from a very Murray Christmas on Netflix or a couple of the other uh, other things he's, he's been in the last couple. Of, what's that? Top top five. Yeah, he's been in some stuff, but you may not know him as a stand up comedian. Yeah. Um. So Netflix is going to shake that up. And they have offered him $40 million to do two stand-up specials. There's a couple of interesting things about this. First, at $20 million a special, it is the most that any stand-up comedian has ever been paid for a special. And that includes Jerry Seinfeld and Louis C.K., who have both uh, received very large amounts of money for stand-up specials in the past. Uh, Chris Rock will officially have the largest pay uh, per special, period, at $20 million per special. That is noteworthy, especially for somebody who hasn't toured in almost a decade and may not um, may not be able to command a crowd the way you used to, right? Because when you when you step away from being in front of a live crowd like that for as long as he has, you can you can lose your ability. Um, we don't know if he has or not because our only real recent, uh, interaction with him has been the Oscars, as you pointed out. Um, but the host does not necessarily, and oftentimes write, uh, any of their jokes. They're usually involved, but not in the way you, you are with writing your own standup special, right? Um, and your audience is not somebody who's there for a comedy special, there's nervous laughter from 
people who are waiting to find out whether they've won awards. You know, there's it's a different environment than you know going to just a theater in L.A. and filming a special for of with people with an audience full of people who have paid to be there to listen to you be funny. Um, so the environment, the pressure will be a little different. So it'll be interesting to see how he responds to it. Now, his specials in the past have always been very successful. So it's, it's important to note that. And it's also important to note, I'm not saying that he won't be funny or that he's not up to the task. Simply that uh, contracting him for two specials is a little surprising for somebody who is almost a decade away from being tested in this kind of arena. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Netflix certainly has uh, confidence in what he can bring to the table. So... Hmm. I'm a big Chris Rock fan. I think, I think, I very much look forward to seeing these specials. I do too. Whether it's, uh, I, I have a lot of having seen like top five recently, which he plays someone who's a comedian. I think, I think, I think he's gonna be fine. Uh, I think there's a. I think the only question is, is any stand-up comedy special worth twenty million a pop? Right. Uh, to Netflix, and if anybody's was, I guess it would be his. But um, you know, that is a lot of money. I I don't know how Netflix. It's interesting to me how Netflix puts places a value on programming. Like, how do you know that this programming is worth this amount of money to you? Right. If you're Netflix, because you're your users are a sunk are, are, are a fixed uh, income, right? So like you're paying the $10 a month um, for Netflix. And, you know, if I, they don't have Chris rock, does that mean that you're going to unsubscribe and they're going to lose your $10? Right. And if you see that they are getting Chris rock, does that mean that you're going to subscribe people who aren't on Netflix, which a lot of, you know, it's, they, I don't know how many people that they, they don't have, you know, uh, going to suddenly subscribe. So, you know, I guess the question is like, is he going to make $40 million worth of revenue for them? Right. Uh, at least. And how would they know if he did? Right. It's, it certainly seems like the kind of the kind of uh, actuarial tables that would be very difficult to build. I, I I just don't understand how you how one figures it out and whether there's any level of certainty about it. Like I guess if you look at well, we want to make sure people are watching our programming because if they're not watching it, they might unsubscribe, or if they are watching it, if they think they want to watch it, they're going to subscribe. But how how have they done the math on this to figure out that something is is worth it right you know like they can figure out how many people watched it and they might be able to guesstimate how many people will watch it but how does that relate like in netflix's world just like talking as like a pure from a pure like selfish business perspective from their point their only concern is that people keep paying right, right? like whether the programming is good or not whether people watch it or not, <laughs> their only concern is that people don't cancel their subscriptions right. and new people subscribe. So 
so if you were them and you were trying to be cheap, you would just try and make sure that you had just enough, you know, just enough episodes of old shows like She's the Sheriff to not keep people from quit, you know, to keep people from quitting. Um, you know, but obviously they've had greater ambition than that because you see some of the things that they've produced mm-hmm. that have been fantastic, yeah. like Stranger Things. Yep. And so somehow they must be fig- they must be figuring that somehow this this translates to the bottom line or, or maybe they're not 100 percent concerned with the bottom line. I don't know. Uh, so I'm glad it's not my money. Uh, the $40 at, million dollars. at least at least not directly. It's partially it is partially your money. Yes, but I don't have control of it. Right. You know, it's not like I had to pay more to get, you know, Chris Rock than not. I have to say that I probably would have canceled. To be fair to their their philosophy, I probably would have canceled Netflix uh, and considered canceling Netflix, except that every month or two there seems to be one show that I really want to watch, <laughs> that I really, really want to watch. Like right now it's Luke Cage that I haven't gotten to watch. I really, really want to watch. Uh, Alante encouraged us to talk about that tonight, but I haven't watched it either, and I had a I, feeling you hadn't yet, so it wouldn't have been a topic that either one of us could have spoken intelligently I, I, on. I liked, I liked, I loved Jessica Jones and Daredevil, mm-hmm. so you know, it's a matter of like when, because I can't if I watch it by myself without my wife, she's gonna be upset. So it's like I gotta find <laughs> the time when she can do it and I can do it, and we, and and that's what kept kept us from watching like Jessica Jones and Daredevil immediately as soon as they came out, because otherwise I would. So I get what they're saying, uh, and I certainly am going to be very eager to watch uh, Chris Rock. And after all, uh, Netflix has thrown money at some things that were that were really uh, craptastic, uh, namely anything with Adam Sandler in it. So, um, so you know, it's okay. You know, I I remember a few years ago when uh, Dave Chappelle was given like what was he fifty million dollars for a couple of years of his show. Yeah. Um, granted, that was. Granted, at least it was like many episodes over many years right. um, that he was given and decided to want for various reasons, you know, which could be legit. But anyway, the point is, uh, you know, I guess this is what the market will bear. And uh, hey, I, I'll be I'll be watching Chris Rock. Well, and see, there's there's proof that it could turn out well for them. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, how he does, how Netflix does with it, and uh, whether this is just the beginning of a new trend for them. We'll see. Uh, they've done really well with other stand-up specials in the past. Uh, Nick Offerman's American Ham is uh, one of my favorite comedy specials right now. So, And that was Netflix. So, I bet Patton Oswalt would do it for cheaper than $20 million each. Almost certainly. And uh, I would watch that. Yeah, me too. He's funny. <laughs> Well, that is our show. Thank you for those of you who uh, joined us live in the chat room, which you can do, of course, Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern by going to f5live.tv slash join us. Also, thank you to everybody who has subscribed and uh, put up with my incredibly delayed editing and publishing schedule. It's been weird around here, but it's okay because we're getting back to normal. Uh, so thank you to everybody who has taken the time out of your day to join us. Uh, we have a pretty normal schedule for, I believe, the majority of the rest of the year, which is pretty exciting. 
to be back to normal breathing room. Uh, um, so uh, we've got new shows coming. There's, uh, like I said, there's new stuff coming to special events, first looks. We've got new product launch pad episodes coming as well so subscribe to all of those and keep up with all of the stuff by following us on social media on behalf of the staff that's not here i'm scott and we will see you guys back next week ciao